Welcome to the Real Life Diabetes Podcast with today's guest, Madison Thorne, who took a nasty protest sign and turned it into a thought-provoking project. If you're new to the show, welcome, and thanks for stopping by. My name is Amber Kluwer, and I enjoy sharing my story and those of other people living their best life with this disease. Madison's interview really hit home because I've been uninsured in my adult life more than I would like to admit. She took her diagnosis, the insane pandemic situation, and turned it into a project highlighting other high-risk humans like ourselves, a story that needs to be told. But before we get started, I have a few quick announcements. Number one, the Diabetes Daily Grind is a nonprofit organization. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. It's easy. Just click the donate link in the show notes. Number two, my affiliate page features reputable brands and services that make life with diabetes a more pleasant one. You can find all the deals at diabetesdailygrind.com and stay tuned because that list is growing. And finally, stay engaged. Love, like, share, and comment on all things social media. Sign up for the e-newsletter, leave an iTunes review, and I haven't had one in a while. Come on, people. I know you're listening. (laughs) Subscribe to my YouTube channel and click on the Amazon banner on the website before ordering. It doesn't cost you a thing and throws a little change my way. All right, let's get started. All right, so I'm excited to have Madison Thorne on the podcast. Is that correct? Is that that? Yes, that is absolutely right. It's a hard name to mess up, so I'm glad you. <laughs> I didn't mess it up. Stay, right? Yeah, step one. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> so I'm going to say right off the bat, and we'll get into your diagnosis and things like that. But Madison and I met through a, I'm going to say a mutual friend. A woman just came into my life a few months ago, and Mary Sack. Thank you very much. And so when she found out what I was doing and talking about the podcast and connecting people with diabetes, she immediately said, "I have two friends in Nashville that I know have type one diabetes." And so she connected us. So and when I started reading more about Madison and her her story and everything that you're doing currently, I was like, "You're the perfect guest for the podcast because you are." I'm going to say recently diagnosed. It's only a couple of years ago, right? I just had my four year in July, I believe. Okay. And so let's talk about your diagnosis story. All right. (laughs) It's always a fun one. Well, (laughs) everyone is similar, but not the same. You know what I mean? Right. No, no, everyone's totally different. I was just hearing about someone, their main symptom was a skin rash, which I had never heard before. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Didn't know that either. I didn't know that either. Uh, well, for starters, thank you, Mary Sack, for making this all happen. Appreciate you. As far as my diagnosis story goes, my biggest tell was weight loss. My fighting weight is about 115, 120, and I was down to 87 pounds. I'm hating you on both counts. Just keep going. Well, I'm 5'2", all right? There's not, there's not a lot to me. I'm 5'3 and a half. And I, okay, I can, sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Sorry. This is off to a great start. Doing great. <laughs> So I was skin and bone. My guess was I was in DKA for quite a few weeks, if not a month or two. Mm. Um, and But I didn't have insurance and I was broke. So I just ignored all of the symptoms, all of the, uh, you know, the fact that my tongue was completely dried out. I was totally dehydrated. My, my hair dried out. I just ignored mm. all of it because I didn't have any options. But then finally I got a job and my first paycheck went to bills. I caught up on bills. And then two weeks later, my second paycheck, I took myself to urgent care. And yeah, I know life without insurance in this country is ridiculous. That's, that's for later. We can, yeah, we're going to get in. We can can touch on that later. So I took myself to urgent care and I knew the doctor 
that was working there and he opened up the door and I was just, you know, sitting in a chair, damn near dead. And, uh, he opens up the door and he goes, what the fuck? <laughs> like, is it that bad doc? He says, I don't know what in the fuck is wrong with you, right. but we're starting you on fluids right now. I'm like, okay, cool, man. 30 minutes later, they come back with the type one diagnosis and said, either you get someone to take you to the, to the hospital where you'll stay for several days in the ICU, or I'm calling an ambulance. But right. I had been like living with it for so long that I was like, oh, doc, it's not, it's not life-threatening. It's like, it's life-threatening. You're going to the hospital now. Yeah. So, uh, so did so, you drive, did you drive yourself? No, no. He said that wasn't an option. Okay. No, he, uh, I called a very good friend of mine and, uh, they took me to the hospital. I stayed in the ICU for four days. Welcome I to walked. type one diabetes. Yes. And I got a cute little coloring book and not very much information. And they sent me off into the world. Okay. That's was going to be one of my next questions. And is now a standard question on every podcast. Do you feel like you got proper education upon your diagnosis? Absolutely not. And I understand, I understand that there's so much when it comes to educating with diabetes. It's it's a, it's an entire thing. Like I had no idea until very recently that caffeine can affect your sugars because it's, I I didn't know that in in the book they gave me, they said, you can have two things with no consequence whatsoever to your sugar level, pickles and coffee. Are you kidding me? No, I have the book somewhere here still. And I'm so, going to need a copy of that. Yeah. Pickles. Absolutely. Okay. First pickles. of all, <laughs> pickles are going to dehydrate you. So they may not affect your sugar. Right. right, right. But it's going to go downhill quick. Right. No, I, I get that there's a lot in a very short amount of time, but like I had the, the educator, I'm doing air quotes when I say that it's a poor woman. The educator came in and she gave me a pamphlet. I'm 26, almost 27 years old. And I'm in an ICU bed with, you know, I got uh, two IVs coming out of me. I'm hooked up to four different bags. I'm a grown ass person. Yeah. (laughs) And she sits down next to me and she hands me this little booklet and it's got like cartoons on it. It's obviously for children. And I understand that a large portion of ones diagnosed with type one are children. She hands me this pamphlet and it's like, you know, cute bubble letters. And it's like how to deal with diabetes or whatever the shit it said. And uh, I open it up and she reads me the first page, right? She reads me the first page. And I'm looking at it going, okay, well, this is really weird. And she gets to the end of the first page and she looks at me and I look at her and she looks at me and like does this little head motion and like to tell me to turn the page. So I turn the page for her and that's how we got through this book. Oh my God. She read it to me and I turned the pages. So they sent me out with a couple little booklets, one pen, one Humalog pen, one Lantis pen into the world. And that's it. And that's it. Okay. I'm going to, there's a couple of questions with that. Yes, please. If you you can answer these. Okay. So you're given, let's just say, I don't know how much insulin. Okay. I mean, like, I'm like, I I have to wrap my mind around this. Sorry. It's a lot. I know. No, I mean, it is a lot. And it's so, uh, it's unfortunate that this is, I'm sure our common theme and that's no disrespect to the medical community, but diagnosis type one, this is a very, I mean, you can't mess around with your medications. How did they figure out your insulin ratio? Like, did they tell you about carb counting? I mean, it's, yes, it's kind of a guess, you know, when you first start out. Yeah, it's a guess even when you've had it for 30 years. Right, it's, and it's still a guess. <laughs> they gave me a very, 
And so I was doing the Lantis too. So I was doing the yeah. log acting yeah. and I was doing the, the quick acting. It actually, it worked really well for me what their carb ratio was originally. I think Good. I was one to 10 originally. And that, that suited me just fine. I don't know how they did the math. There was probably some weight or, sh- yeah. I don't know. It did all right. Okay. So you get out of the hospital, you have two insulin pens. Do you have a glucometer? Do you have or like a glucose meter or whatever we want to call it? I think they gave me one. Did they give I mean, you test strips? It was like, you know how a testing kit comes in a box yeah. and it comes with a single thing of test strips? 10, usually. Something like that. Yeah. It was it was awful. So they gave me, unfortunately, it was the cheapest possible testing kit. And so with cheap testing kits come cheap results. So mm. I remember getting home and testing for one of the first times and I felt low. Like I didn't feel right. I knew something was wrong. I knew very little about diabetes, but I knew something was wrong. Yeah. And so I tested, but it said I was in range. I'm like, well, that's weird. So I tested a different finger on the other hand. And there was like a 30 point difference. <laughs> Panic. I panicked. I tested every single finger. <laughs> I, I was freaking out. I texted every single finger. And I remember I called like the helpline on the box of the testing kit. Yeah. I was like, I have tested every single finger and there's a 30 point difference. And I don't know what's going on. And the woman bless her heart. goes something like that sounds really diff. Like, it sounds like you're going through a lot. I'm like, I am. Thank you. We'll send you a new kit. We'll send you a new kit. Here's the yeah. thing with that. I got to say, and I'm plugging one company because I believe in what yeah. they do and I use them currently. So a lot of those bigger companies, even if you go to Walmart to purchase the test strips, they're $139. It's, it's more than a dollar a strip. And for anybody diagnosed with diabetes, especially type one, you're testing in anywhere of 10 times a day. So bullshit. Or should be. Or should be. Should be. Right. I and did not. I did not because test strips, <sighs> I, I tested less than I should have because test strips were so expensive. Okay. So the company I'm going to say is Diathrive. Diathrive. Okay, cool. Diathrive. Now that I'm questioning everything. Anywho, they're on my affiliate page. And why, why I say that is because you can get 50 test strips. And I mean, it's like eight bucks and you no, get them delivered to your door. Mm-hmm. Like That's I got incredible and I, it's, it is incredible. And so good on them. And I'm sorry that I just totally blushed that they're not paying me to say this, but no, I think great. about all the people who can't afford test strips. Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. So do you have medical insurance now? I do now okay. after a, it's kind of a great story. If I could yeah, that's on it. it yeah. Real quick. So I've never had health insurance in my life. And then summer of 2020, a very good friend of mine called me up as you did during 2020. Just say, hey, are you still alive? Yeah. yeah, I'm still alive. You still alive? All right, cool. So my buddy calls me up and he says, hey, Matt, I just watched this documentary on diabetes. I laughed at him. I said, why on earth would you do that? <laughs> and he goes, well, I, you're my buddy. I want to know what you go through every day. So my heart exploded and melted all over yeah. the room in a very disgusting manner. And he says, what's this CG, CG something or whatever? You mean a CGM? He goes, yeah, that thing. That thing sounds cool. And I said, yes, it's an expensive as shit. And yeah. nobody will even tell me how much it is because I don't have insurance. And he goes, well, we're going to get you one. And I laughed at him again. I said, yeah, sure, dude, whatever. Lo and behold, 
him and his wife spent hours walking me through the healthcare, the marketplace, like yeah. all of it. They told me, they taught me like what all the words meant and because of them and they're not letting me say no and <laughs> practically dragging me through the entire experience. I have health insurance now. I have a Dexcom. I have an Omnipod. I have endocrinologist. I have an endocrinologist. It's amazing. I think that's so funny. And I got I'm outing myself. Like I currently don't have an endocrinologist mm-hmm. and I currently don't have medical insurance. I'm really sorry about that. That's so and, but let me say that because I know of all the patient assistance programs is, yeah. you know, I've utilized those when necessary. And that's one of the reasons why I bring this up is for people who are uninsured, if you're listening to this and just like your friends came in and, and forced you into it, there are a lot of, I'm going to say things available. And that's, I say that loosely, there's mm-hmm. a lot of work that you have to do in order to do it. And I want to be sure that everybody has the supplies they need in order to live their healthiest life. And as an advocate and supporting so many other organizations, we are partnering together to make sure that everybody has access to affordable insulin and affordable CGMs because management, diabetes management, if you don't have the tools that you need to live, survive literally, then it's going to be a long-term trickle down on the just all kinds of things, especially if you're uninsured, you're going to be going to the emergency room a lot more because you've got problems, you've got complications, whatever. Anywho, that's, that's a rabbit hole, but I'm glad that you, your friends forced you into it. And so how do you, how did you feel? Okay. Here's a backup question. When you had to go home and give your first shot, easy breezy, or were you like stressed out? I was, uh, here was my, here was my meltdown moment talking about urgent care. The doctor told me you're going to the ICU. I'm like, okay, cool, man. I think I was so like wiped out, exhausted on death's doorstep that I was like, yeah, cool. Whatever. The nurses would come in and say, here's your food. Take this much insulin. Here's this, take this much. And it was just like holding my hand through the whole thing. And I remember I got home from the hospital and I walked in the door and there was an apple sitting on the counter. And I was like, and I, thought I want to eat that. And then I started crying because I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. I didn't know how much insulin I needed because of that. I didn't like, it was just like, that is when it set in that my life was totally different. Did you eat the apple? No. I went upstairs and cried. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's horrible. I'm so sorry. It's, it's all right. We all have our diagnosis. Okay. okay let me ask you this. Cause this is like a future thing I'm doing. If you had to guess right now, let's just say it's a medium, like a regular size red apple. How many carbs do you think it has? I thought the go-to was like 15. I have no, no idea. I, I have, have no, no idea. idea. I have no idea. <laughs> this, the little pamphlet they gave me said 15. So I don't know. Well, and I'm sure it's different with like, uh, I'm going to go, that's a rabbit hole again, <laughs> but it's, I love, I, but this is not a, I'm not giving medical advice, but carb guessing is what all of us do. And you can't keep up with all that. And there's like 72 different types of apples. Are you going to, I mean, I guess the 15 is a standard and you're just going to write. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I so, think, Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I'm really thankful that I, you know, diagnosed I'm type one during a time where Google's a thing. Oh, because yeah, I can yeah. just, I, we, I could look it up right now. Red, delicious apple yeah. carbs, and it'll tell me. And there's incredible. so many apps too. Yeah. It's, it is yeah. incredible. And I'm so, yes. And again, with the advancements in technology and CGMs and pump therapy, mm-hmm. the people being diagnosed today are, are have a much easier road. I'm going to say that. Okay. Let me ask you, because this was just all over social media because you're a potter. Did you see Leela Moss? I think is her name. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's walking the runway. Someone famous's kid walked the runway with an Omnipod. 
Kate Moss, just, famous model. Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> so an insulin pod, which essentially is like having a pump on the runway, which is incredible. I think it's great. An interesting and slightly dark retort to that was someone commented saying, look, it's great that it's getting visibility, but we know type one exists. Like that's yeah. not, let's get the affordable insulin yeah. some yeah. awareness. Let's get that. Like we know type one's a thing. It's cool to see it on a runway. Congrats. Awesome. But yeah. there's a lot of other things involved. I think for the young people, especially it's nice to see. Yes. I'm going to say a public figure or someone famous. I think one of the reasons why mm-hmm. I really started with the real life diabetes podcast was I wanted people that are relatable. I'm not, I'm not a model. I'm yeah. not a super athlete. Like I'm not even close. I want to see people that are doing extraordinary things every day and not letting type one diabetes or diabetes take them back. And with that being said, it doesn't have to be athletic. I'm just using that as as examples. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad those people are out there because they give people hope, but you started because of a, you're a photographer. I love artists B when COVID hit, And I love, this is one of the reasons why I really wanted to interview you is in Nashville. There was a COVID protest. Uh, Yes. So in downtown Nashville, I think, I believe this was April, probably mid-April of 2020. So we've been locked down for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we were all miserable. There was a protest to reopen businesses, right? A bunch of people got together downtown and said, we're sick of this. We want, someone actually said in an interview, I want my sweet tea from my favorite fast food restaurant. And I... My brain exploded a little bit. Okay, sorry. So this, there was there was a protest and everyone had signs, but this woman, this person held a sign that said, sacrifice the weak, reopen Tennessee. Right. And the weak is referring to the high risk. It's not just referring to the elderly. It's, it's referring to anyone with a chronic condition or an illness, or there's a lot of people under the high risk umbrella. And so seeing that sign put me in bed for three days, it absolutely destroyed me because we were already, we were already in a totally messed up mental headspace. Yeah. And then along comes a stranger who had decided what my life was worth. And she said it was worth nothing. So I laid in bed for three days. And then on the third day, I had this idea. I wanted to photograph the high risk with the intention being that when someone would say sacrifice the weak or the like, I could show them who they're referring to. I wanted to be able to show them pictures of who that means. Because I think people said that with great cavalier, just like as a, it was a throwaway comment and they were talking about throwaway people. But in reality, there's a lot of people involved with that. So thus began my photo series, High Risk Humans. So I went out and started photographing and interviewing the high risk folks in my community. And I spent the summer and most of the fall doing that. Probably did about 50 interviews. And then my friend who actually helped me get health insurance, she built the website and then we started posting stories. And then it it gained quite a bit of traction. And I think it was because the high risk, not only the high risk, but the people who loved the high risk were not, were being ignored largely. And so this, I came along with the series and said, no, you're not being ignored. I see you. I hear you. We're all in this together. So it was a beautiful project. Yeah. And I'm going to put all the links to it in the show notes because I want to encourage people to check it out and hopefully I'll be in Nashville one day soon and get to participate. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one of the things in reading that too, and going back to that website is when you talk about sacrifice the week, I'll never forget having that moment of like 
shut shit down for me with diabetes whenever I think it was Hurricane Katrina. And all I could think about was if I were in that situation, survival of the fittest Mm -hmm. and not the same, but similar in that I would be the first to go. And that's a hard, that's a hard one, but being so flippant and I mean, sacrifice the week. That's pretty much, well, I'm not going to say that because then I'll piss off a lot of groups of people, but um, I hope that person never gets sick. I'll just leave it at that. I really hope I get to meet them someday. I'm really curious about how, because that happened very early on in the pandemic. I'm very curious as to how it worked out for them. Well, if they're, well, I'm going to say something. But I mean, my, the series was all about empathy. That is the main point I tried to drive home throughout the whole thing is just be empathetic to your neighbors. You don't know what's going on. I do not look like I have a chronic illness, yeah. but I do. So you can't, that was always so annoying during the pandemic where I would, someone would say, Hey, are you going to go do this? Like, no, man, I can't, I'm high risk. Well, you don't look high risk. Oh yeah. Well, I'm sorry. You can't see my dead pancreas. Like it's not so, but back to the, the woman who held the sign, I was talking with someone, I was interviewing them for the series and they made the fantastic point that the people at the protests were angry. Yeah. And, but anger is a secondary emotion. Something has to happen for you to be angry. You don't just wake up angry. Something has to be the catalyst for that anger. And Megan, Megan made the fantastic point that it's likely fear. Everyone was Mm -hmm. reacting at a level of fear at that point. Some people acted angrily or with anger. So to look at those people and empathize with them and to try to understand that, yes, they are angry, but they're probably really scared too. ultimately scared of if they're not scared of the virus, they're scared of losing their incomes, their homes, not being able to pay their bills. There was, everyone was terrified during that time. It's well said. Yeah. I mean, it was a weird time for everyone. It still is. I mean, it's still better, but okay. So do you have a family history of diabetes? I do not. I am the one and only pew pew. Me too. Do you, I have type two, lots of type two on my family, in my family. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, there's always a conspiracy theory as to how you, your body started kicking its own ass. Any thoughts? I have no idea. I wasn't sick. The last time I was truly sick before getting the diagnosis was probably two years before. So that's way too far away. But I think you and I are talking at some point about stress being a potential stress. catalyst. Yeah. Which is fascinating. My best friend was dying of brutal cancer the year before. So I, it's, it's likely. I wouldn't doubt it. If you told me that it was stress that made my pancreas give up, I'd probably believe it. It's so crazy. And, you know, the medical data behind that, I, I mean, I, I can't quote anybody, but there are so mm-hmm. many other factors that they think are contributors. And yeah, there's just, there's so many it's, I can't keep up honestly. Okay. So here's one of the other questions I'm asking every single podcast guest, mm-hmm. because we're talking about, as I mentioned earlier, did you get proper education for living with this disease? Do you have access? Question number two, do you have access to healthy food? And I say that as in fresh fruits and vegetables within a, let's say five mile radius. I'm lucky. I do. I have a car. I have transportation. I, but I do live in a food desert. Technically I live in a food desert. I'm half a mile from the heart of downtown Nashville, but I'm in a food desert. 
And it's tragic. Yeah, I bet. How you don't think that a food desert could exist in the city, but if you if you look up Nashville food desert, it'll give you like you know the areas that are technically mm-hmm. food deserts, and it's shocking how much of a large portion of this city. And I mean, I'm from St. Louis. I looked up St. Louis food desert. That a large portion of St. Louis is a food desert. That's food right. desert. Food desert. By for those listening, by definition, is a grocery store or accessible healthy food within walking distance. Walking distance, and that's more. That's I mean, the kicker. Yeah, you, and I was talking about this in a past podcast. If you really are motivated, and I'm not saying I don't know that I would be this person, so I'm not calling anybody out, but. If I had to get on a bus to go and get fresh fruits and vegetables, I'm, I mean, I, the likelihood is probably not, 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 none. I mean, and then you're restricted to what you can carry or are willing to carry. Right. I have worked in several kitchens and food was important to me before I ever became diabetic. And so this whole, <laughs> this whole tangent we could go on about food deserts and excess, just accessible good food. That's it. It's just why the shit. Is a box of mac and cheese more affordable than a single red bell pepper? Oh, that's a fact right there. That is like, I think a red bell pepper is a dollar 50 and you can get a Kroger box of mac and cheese for less than a dollar. It's ridiculous. Okay. Well, let me ask you this when it comes to your diet, because I am pretty, I don't like this and I don't know how to word that. I'm very particular about my diet, what I put in my body. Do you choose certain lifestyles? or choices. That's, that's redundant in itself. I, if I could edit this out, I would. <laughs> you have specific choices that you feel like make your diabetes management an easier one. I mean, if you need an example, I'm happy to provide. No, I, I kind of came toe to toe with food for a long time. I'm not going to say it was an eating disorder, but like I have appetites have never been a thing for me. So to have to eat always felt like more of a chore. Yeah. In in many ways. And then add in, you know, years later, type one diabetes. And then it's like a necessity to survive. But to answer your question, try obviously whatever decision you make is going to be easier or difficult, more difficult in the long run. Right. I could eat ice cream for breakfast, but then I you know, you're just going to deal with the repercussions all day. Yeah. Yeah. So I try first and foremost, I have to want to eat it. I have to have the appetite for it. And then second, I try to make it as uncomplicated as possible when it comes to like carb counting and fat versus protein in a meal. So I I don't know if that answered your question. No, it totally does. Okay. Let me ask you this. When you were diagnosed previous to your diagnosis, do you feel like you read labels no, I never read a label in my life. Do you no. feel like you know how to read a label? I know what I need to read off of a label. I have a, another, she's the one who built the website. She's the one who got yeah. me uh, the health insurance. She reads the ingredients yeah. on a label. She, that's that's her background. That's what she knows. So we read the same label. We read different things off of the label. Right. She's like, don't eat that because it's got this and this and this and this. I said, well, look at the carb count. Come on. <laughs> the carbs. Um, yeah. carbs. Okay. So one of the things that you also mentioned in our previous conversation, and we touched on this, but not really the music health Alliance, mm-hmm. is that how you got your insurance? Yes. So the music health Alliance, I really hope it's the music health Alliance because there's two organizations in Nashville that specifically help 
people in the music industry with insurance. And I honestly, I should have looked up the scope of their assistance programs. So I reached out to Music Health Alliance and said, I don't know what I'm doing. Please help. Someone got back to me almost immediately and asked me a few simple questions. So I'm in the industry because I was doing concert photography and music photography before the in the before times. But so they pretty much just hold your hand through the whole thing. It's incredible. It's it's amazing. It was the most wonderful asset because it's somebody who knows the the system and knows what to say and how to say it. For someone who's never had health insurance in their life, I didn't know what a copay was. I didn't know any of it. So between my friends and the the Music Health Alliance, I, it was pretty amazing. Does, if you don't mind me asking, does your medical insurance cover fully your insulin and pod supplies and Dexcom? So my insulin is actually, or sorry, my health insurance is actually a diabetic plan. So any, it's brilliant. Anything related to diabetes, any medical device related to diabetes is free. It's insane. I didn't even know that existed. I I mean, Cigna, it's Cigna. Wow. I'm writing that down. Okay. Please do. So I immediately got a Dexcom. I immediately got an Omni. As soon as I was ready to switch to the Omnipod, I got the Omnipod. Test strips are included in this. I haven't pushed the boundaries with anything else yet because things are going really well. But as far as insulin, I'm still a part of the pity program. They had through uh, Lily Cares. Okay. I don't make that much money. I'm an artist. Yeah. So going back to what they sent me out of the hospital with, you know, they sent me out with two insulin pens, two insulin pens, a long acting and a short acting, which ultimately would last me three weeks, something like that. And nothing else. I remember I went back to the urgent care, the doctor, and I said, Hey man, you got any, like, uh, I don't know, like test vials of insulin lying around. And he's like, no, I can't, I can't help you. Okay, well, great. And then another friend of mine who works in a doctor's office, she, I kind of lamented to her about the fact that I didn't know what to do. And she immediately, another one who knew the system and knew what to do and who to call, she immediately got me hooked up with Lily Cares. And I've, that's how I've gotten my insulin for the past four years. Do you feel like that, that process was an easy one or? I didn't do it. Okay. They did it for you. This wonderful friend of mine came in and filled out all of the forms, like hounded the people because they're not, I don't know if this is Lily cares. There's a couple different, uh, corporations involved in the whole process. So she hounded people when they, you know, were slow on faxing things and stuff like that. Vicky, I love you. She has like (laughs) saved my life easily like 10 times over. Well, I have to say too, like if it wasn't not, if it wasn't for knowing so many people, in the diabetes world, like, Hey, if you're low or whatever, I mean, like I can't imagine, I mean, I guess because I've been having to fill a prescription for so long that it's comes to second nature, but if you're newly diagnosed and nobody walks you through that, here's what you have to do. Like my God. Yeah. So I am from St. Louis and I moved to Nashville in 2018, but so I spent about a year and a half in St. Louis as a type one and I kept it to myself. Right. I, originally viewed it as like a a chink in my armor kind of situation. And I didn't want anyone to know that I had this, this diagnosis essentially. So nobody knew. And then I came down to Nashville. I still didn't tell anybody you would know if I, we ate a meal together and I would take out, you know, the insulin I'd shoot up. What are you doing? I'm dead pancreas. Deal with it. Shut up. (laughs) 
<laughs> move along with your life. Worry about your own damn self. <laughs> <laughs> right. But with the high risk series, what made it work, I think, is that I was high risk as well. So it wasn't somebody trying to report on a situation they didn't know about. I was high risk. I was in the trenches. I was disinfecting groceries with the best of them. Like we were all going through this together. And so I went from not telling anybody I was diabetic to pretty much introducing myself as Madison Thorne, the type one diabetic. And it's been incredible. And it turned now I can say I have this community of type ones around me. Yeah. And it's such an incredible asset. But I can text. I ran out of test strips at one point and I was SOL and I texted a buddy. I was like, dude, you got any spare test strips? I'll pay you. And he's like, you can have some test strips. You weirdo. Come get them to have a community, to build a community. It's an incredibly powerful thing. And we did that unintentionally. That happened with the high risk series. Yeah. Yeah. It was a beautiful thing to watch unfold. Well, and I have to say through this, I'm going to say dark times because we're still kind of in them as someone who is high risk. When I started hosting the virtual happy hour, you know, one of the girl women said the other day, they're like, this is what has kept me because we're all a part of different groups. Socially, we get together once a week and it saved our lives. I mean, literally having your friends that understood and that were in the trenches, hardcore and in other countries who were literally locked down. If it were not for those support groups. I don't think there'd be as many type ones around. I mean, that sounds horrible, but it's some crazy stuff in the mental health component of that. Oh, absolutely. My, my mental health, as I said earlier, was absolute trash in, you know, March and April of 2020. I had a roommate that really didn't care about the pandemic whatsoever and just like wouldn't wash his hands, kind of did whatever he wanted to do. So I felt like my life was at risk constantly. And if you think back to that time, we had so little information. We knew nothing. We still don't know a whole lot, but we know we can stop disinfecting our groceries now. So I was in such a dark place. And then John Prine died. And that was awful. That was absolutely That was terrible. I didn't think I could get any lower mentally on any level. And then a week later, the the woman held the sacrifice, the weak sign. And so all of this to say that if I didn't have the high risk series, if I didn't have the people to advocate for, to if I didn't have the community that I built, I don't know if I'd be here. I honestly yeah. don't. And I've not, I have never had suicidal tendencies or anything, but that was rough. So that as much as people tell me that the, the high risk series helped them, it, it saved my life. Absolutely. Well, I think it's one of those things that people will continue to look back on mm-hmm. and it's a work in progress, correct? Yes. I actually still have people that want to do interviews and I'm all for it. It would, I was just talking about this. Someone asked me if it'll be a book. I'm sure it'll be a book someday, but I think this needs to be behind us a little bit. I think we need to all get a little therapy, work through this trauma, and then maybe we can dive back into it and talk (laughs) about it. But we need a minute. We just need just a little bit of time. Let the wound close maybe a little bit. It's still pretty raw. Okay. So how many people are in this series? So far, I've interviewed about 50 people. I think 25 stories are posted. And how many of that have type one? Ooh, good question. Four. And did they come to you or did you find them? So this was an interesting aspect. I knew three people that were high risk. So when I rolled out of bed on the third day, said I want to take pictures. I texted those three friends of mine, asked to do the 
asked if I could take their picture. They said yes. And then after that, I did not approach anybody because I felt like it wasn't someone's medical history wasn't my business. Sure. So I put it out on the socials. I said, if you know of anybody, my Omnipod's beeping at me. Can you hear it? I did. (laughs) So people had to come to me. And so I had a, I have a form on the website, you know, yeah. How'd you, how'd you find out about it? You yada, yada. What? And then it says, what puts you in the high risk category? Please only share however much you want. Yeah. And then everybody had the final say as to what was put onto the website because it's, it was their story. Their story which I love that. Yeah. Well, Madison, I'm so happy to have met you. Thank you, Mary Sack for connecting us. Shout out, <laughs> shout out to her. And I look forward to seeing that I look forward to seeing the, the continuous progress of this project and we're going to have to have a trip. I'm going to have to have a trip to Nashville. You're absolutely going to have to have a trip to Nashville. Maybe just get into the, uh, the after times. So this Omnipod is losing its mind right now. What is it doing? Is it saying that it's almost low or what? I mean, are the- I, I think I'm low. I don't have my PM on me. Yeah, what probably is? low. Or we're getting to, uh, we're getting close to a timeout it needs to be replaced. This is great. What a lovely sign off. This just Omnipods <laughs> this is- beeping, cyborg parts losing their minds. <laughs> Real life diabetes. It doesn't take a break. It doesn't take a break. But yes, thank you, Mary Sack, for setting this all up. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for everything you do for advocating for this community we need we need all the help we can get (laughs) i'm bringing the people together that's the goal yeah that's always the goal all right well madison have a great rest of the day yeah cheers you too bye-bye after interviewing so many podcast guests and reading all the other blogs i'm honestly glad i was diagnosed at an early age i know that sounds weird but i can't imagine reading that pickles are one of the foods that people with type 1 diabetes should avoid Materials like this were literally provided four years ago. Please insert all of the curse words and eye rolls. We have a lot of work to do, diet peeps, especially rolling into Diabetes Awareness Month. Please get involved because our voice matters. Before I wrap up, I have a few quick reminders. Number one, my affiliate page would love to feature your brand or service. So hit us up at Penelope at DiabetesDailyGrind.com for details. Number two, I know you're listening. Hey, thank you. (laughs) So be kind and throw a little change my way. Funds raised help keep the website, podcast, and advocacy efforts afloat. And finally, I'm here for my diet peeps and the medical community. So feel free to contact me on any social media platform or directly at amber at diabetesdailygrind.com. Your continued support and love are the reason I keep the episodes coming. Cheers to the highs and lows, everyone. 